Going Linux episode 419, Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux Podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want to send us feedback, our email address is goinglinux at gmail.com and our voicemail line is 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Hey, Bill. Hey, Larry. How are you? <laughs> I am doing great. Uh, how about yourself? It's cold in New Mexico. Well, it is winter. Yeah, I, but I didn't... I believe I moved to the Arctic Circle. It was minus seven up here the other day, and I'm like, that's even my dog uh, said, no, I'll just stay inside. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a built-in coat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was cold. If you were in the kind of work that allowed you to work from home 100% of the time, you'd be just fine, but you don't. So <laughs> it's, you're not. Yeah, we get it. Yeah. Yeah. I, all I can do is extend my sympathy at this point. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. I don't have any uh, influence with the people that control the weather. You know? <laughs> well, I wish you did. And, you know, it would be nice. I do uh, want to let you know I have a friend who uh, clicked to uh, upgrade his computer to a Windows 11 and uh-huh. uh, he was having uh, some problems with it. So I, I happened to be near his house one day. I said, I'll come and look at it. And, and I went and looked at it and, it, and oh, wow. Uh, no, no, thank you. His big thing was he hates bloat and man, they got bloat all in there. It's like, we're not going to install anything just what you need to get the operating system and let you decide what. No, they've got to have Instagram, Facebook, uh, Spotify, all that's already installed with the... <laughs> Holy but, crap. And it's like, oh, no, no, thanks. And uh, apparently um, he has a AMD processor that uh, had a bug that they were losing like 10% of their performance. Ooh. And uh, I guess they've already patched it. But uh, they've uh, made it so when you have to find the control panel to change a setting, you have to actually type a control panel because it's hidden. <laughs> the interface uh, uh, on the old ones you used to have, uh, you, you could uh, click to close the window and stuff, you know, with the, when it was squared corners. Well, now, being rounded corners, it's not quite as easy anymore. So it's it, they didn't quite think this thing through and uh yeah but I, I when i saw the amount of just bloatware it's like we're all going all the way back to uh what uh 15 years ago when that was uh a, a thing uh with when you would buy a computer and it would be full of all those uh trialware and shareware programs right so i don't know what if microsoft is trying to align their pockets but wow <laughs> i just looked at it and it's like 
I don't even use any of those programs. Why do I want them on that computer? So, right, exactly. And yeah. it ta- it's uh, the funniest one. He does not like the Edge browser, so he uh, wanted uh, Chrome. Well, uh, when you click the Edge browser, you can make it by default by clicking one button in the browser. Mm-hmm. But right. if you want to make another browser your default, you have to jump through like a crazy amount of hoops. First, you tell it, I want um, Chrome as my browser, and then it opens up it, uh, and there's a list, uh, and you have to manually go down each one of them and because they're all set to edge, and you have to click and to, for all these, you know, all the extensions. Yep. <laughs> so for the yep. HTM, HTML, JB, and you have to go Chrome, 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 Chrome all the way down. <laughs> yeah, it's hey, Microsoft up to their old tricks again. I, I think they're just padding their pockets. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's some revenue going back and forth somehow. Yeah, so it's like if you don't have. Uh, uh, 11, you like 10, don't upgrade or you're going to get all the joy, joy, fun, fun. Well, on behalf of Linux, thank you, Microsoft. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I just wanted to share that. It was crazy. Yeah, I think Windows today is for the person who wants a computer, wants to use whatever is provided on that computer without thinking about it and just... Uh, not make any changes or customizations or personalization. Just use it the way it is and deal well, with it. Well, there's a workaround, uh, but uh, he didn't have a MSN account. But mm-hmm. if you use the home version, they want you to basically create a Microsoft account, even if you don't use it. Just right. Yeah, and I'm like, why? Uh, so I guess you can. It, on home, you have it's required that you have an MSN account, and if um, it's a pro, I think you can get by without one. But that's just ridiculous. Why do I have to create an email for to install an operating system? Your email? That's right. stupid. So yeah, I think it's so that they can keep track move of everybody to yeah. Well, that but. I think it's so that they can move everybody to their cloud uh, 365 uh, version eventually. There is a uh, uh, ad that I saw that they're going to let you use the 365 applications mm-hmm. if on Windows 11. Um, so yeah, I think that's what they're trying to do. They're just there's just uh, we're giving this to you for free. It's you know it's got their their model has switched as software as a service. You know, it's it's, it's right. changing. So mm-hmm. anybody that uh, you know would not be okay with that. Linux lets you create uh, and install accounts that are not tied to any emails. Yes, exactly. You you don't need anything. You don't need you anything. Just, right. You just need a uh, an install disk or an install USB. Or in some cases, you can even do a net install and don't need any physical hardware other than the computer itself. And you're off to the races without creating any sort of logging 
uh, or tracking or any of that. If you choose to be tracked, you can do that or provide what they call telemetry or information back to the distribution so that they can um, diagnose any issues that you have so that you can report the trouble if there is any trouble and yeah, other, but that's completely optional, at least in the distributions that I've tried. Yeah. So, uh, you do have a choice. Yes, you do. <laughs> and, and speaking of ads and choices and things like that, uh, as you're probably aware, I'm testing out Ubuntu Mate 22.04. It's not released yet. It'll be released in April, and we're sitting here in February, so it's a couple months off. And in doing the testing, I noticed when I boot up my virtual image of Ubuntu Mate, there is a new notification that pops up. Uh, on first boot. And if you don't choose the option to not remind you again, it comes up every single time you boot. And that is a notification for, and I'm not sure whether it's an ad for, Ubuntu Pro. We're going to put a link in the show notes to Ubuntu Pro. But what Ubuntu Pro is, is a in-the-cloud version of Ubuntu. And so you could uh, sign up for up to three machines for free for personal use. And it's running Ubuntu Desktop on your choice, Microsoft Azure or Google Cloud or Amazon AWS, those three public clouds. And so you can have a completely virtual machine that you can SSH into or, or remote into and use as though you were using it on your hardware. Uh, my issue with it, if they leave it in for Ubuntu Mate 22.04, is it's not Ubuntu Mate in the cloud. It's Ubuntu in the cloud. So they're asking people, do you want to sign up for a uh, an Amazon account or a Microsoft account or a Google account so that you can run this in the cloud? as a virtual machine, and then you're running not the operating system that you're using, but the base version of Ubuntu. Um, so I'll wait and see, but I was just a little curious that I saw this pop up. Like I said, it may just be something that is part of Ubuntu, and the intent on Ubuntu Mate's part is to remove the notification and make it totally optional, uh, or whether they're intending to leave it in there because it's something that Canonical requires. We'll find out when Ubuntu Mate 22.04 is released officially. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's uh, a little bit weird and interesting, but hmm. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. It two, you know, two months ahead of a release, there are a lot of options for changes here, and we'll see how it goes. Anyway, uh, shall we get started into our feedback, Bill? Yeah, let's begin. All right. Our first email is from James, who asked about Thunderbird and RSS news feeds. And, of course, Thunderbird is an email and contacts and calendaring client for Linux, Windows, and I think Mac as well. 
and they're one of the few of these that still has an RSS news feed associated with it. So James writes, Can someone help me on the issue of Thunderbird 91 and RSS news feeds? I can import and view almost any of them into the blogs and feeds section with no problem, except RSS feeds from Google News. Thunderbird says RSS feeds taken from Google News are not valid and will not update those feeds. Is there any way to disable the validation of feeds in Thunderbird 91? Or perhaps someone knows about some tweak or conversion of the URL from Google News feeds so that Thunderbird sees them as valid. Thanks in advance, James, in Indiana. So, Thunderbird News feeds. Any hmm. thoughts, Bill? No, I haven't used news feeds in ever, so I have no idea. And I've never used a lot of the Thunderbird anyway, so mm-hmm. do you have any ideas? <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, I did a little bit of digging uh, and found that on the Mozilla site, this is actually listed as a bug. And... There's an article there that discusses a workaround that might work, and we'll include a link in the show notes for that workaround. So I'm not going to get into the workaround. I'll just paste it into the show notes so that James and anyone else interested or anyone else seeing this problem can use it. Okay. Uh, Our next email comes from a listener named Biku who wrote about episode 416, a big warm hello to Larry, Bill, and all the listeners. Sorry to hear about Mr. Tom. Thoughts and prayers with his family and friends. I am a new listener to this show, so naturally I'm not familiar with him, uh, but for sure I can relate to your loss and understand your grief as I've lost my mom and dad recently. I'm sorry to hear about that. James asked about address books for Linux, and I have a couple of recommendations for him. Uh, the first one he lists is, is, I believe it's pronounced Osmo. Yeah, it's O-S-M-O, and it's available in the Ubuntu repositories. And then the other one is K Address Book, and it's available in Ubuntu uh, repositories, but if Jack is not running KDE, I, he said he wouldn't recommend it, as it'll pull a huge pile of KDE QT packages on a non-KDE system. Uh, there is a flat uh, package for it uh, that's available that he says might fit, fit the bill. Uh, he also lists Evolution, also available in the Ubuntu repositories. And then Nextcloud, and, it says, and he writes, if Jack is already using it by chance, then it was a built-in contacts app. Michael, he writes, asked about switching between audio output sources if it's, if I'm not completely mistaken, he writes, uh, there are a couple of tools out there that can be of help to him. First is almost fully automatic, and, but will require a bit of manual setup. Um, and yeah, I believe the app's called Switch Sound. He just provides a link, and we'll put it in the show notes. 
the second method is uh, a semi-automatic and will require a click or two, but setup, he said, is easy as there are binary options av available to install it. And that one's called Sound Switcher. Uh, yeah, maybe some of that will be helpful to some of our listeners. Right. Okay. And Biko actually continued that same email. And he writes, if Michael doesn't mind taking a big risk, he can try to replace Pulse Audio with Pipewire on Solus. The following is not tested by me and is extremely Solus specific. Use it at your own discretion and blame Leonard Pottering, <laughs> Wim Damons, and Ike Doherty if something goes wrong. Open terminal and run the following commands in the exact order. Well, I'm not going to include those commands <laughs> in this show. Uh, it sounds a little risky to replace Pipewire. I'll let you uh, figure that out yourself if you're really interested in that. Like Biko says, it's specific to Solace. Scott mused about distro hopping and in my opinion distro hopping will for sure expose you to different desktops window managers package managers applications but it won't really teach you linux you can install arch linux by copying pasting commands from the internet but what will you gain in terms of knowledge nothing much in my opinion you can learn all about the internals of gnu core utilities and its system, and Linux kernel from Ubuntu Mate, or whatever your current distribution is. You don't have to distro hop to do so. But if your intention is to explore different colors, flavors, aromas, and what have yous of GNU Linux landscape, then by all means do distro hop. It's great fun, for sure. A cool application tip that might be of help to listeners, hopefully, is called rclone. It's a tool that can help you synchronize all of your data between your local computer and your cloud storage. It supports almost every cloud storage provider under the sun. It is a command line tool, but there is a GUI client or a GUI client called rclone browser available. We'll have links to that and all of the other software that Biku is suggesting in our show notes. A note to Larry and the links to BLFS that was Beyond Linux from Scratch, if you remember from a previous episode. And why you shouldn't use Grub Customizer in the show notes of episode 416. They're incorrect. Please fix them if possible. Yeah, thanks Biku. I found that. I just had them reversed. And they're fixed now. Wishing Bill a speedy recovery and great health. Wishing Larry, Bill, and all the listeners a happy, healthy, and prosperous 2021 ahead. Biku. Well, thanks for all the wishes, Biku. I'm not sure it's all happening yet, but there's still a lot of 2022 ahead of us. So hopefully we can get some of that positivity. Uh, and again, thank you for all of the links that you've provided and we'll pass those on to our listeners. Okay. Our next email comes from Paul and he had some comments about transitioning from Windows to Linux. He writes, hello, Larry and Bill. I found it interesting in your tribute uh, to Tom episode in which you replayed episode 180 
that back in 2012 you called for the Linux community to use the disastrous release of Windows 8 to lure people away from Windows into the world of Linux. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but there seems to be what you were asking. That caught my attention because it was a rollout of Windows 8 that drove me to Linux as my daily driver. I played with Linux since 1999 when I unsuccessfully installed Corel Linux on an old 486DX system I acquired on eBay. Over the years, I successfully installed various distributions from Red Hat to SUSE on various systems. But for my serious work, I always went back to Windows. But in 2013, I bought a new laptop with Windows 8 installed, and that was it for me. I installed PC Linux OS on the laptop as well as my primary desktop system. The desktop system was a dual boot with Windows 7, but for the first time, PC Linux OS became my primary OS. I only used Windows when I had to. These days, I still dual boot. Now, Linux Mint and Windows 10, but I only go into Windows once or twice per year, <laughs> wow, when I need to do some video editing. I haven't found an open source alternative uh, for PowerDirector that meets my needs. By meeting my needs, I mean that I have gotten fairly proficient in using it by the time I adopted Mint as my main OS, and I've never overcome that learning curve when it comes to using a new video editor. I just want to use what works for me. That said, I'm not an open source adherent, sorry Bill, and if Cyberlink ever chose to develop a version for Linux, it ha he said it has one for Android, I would buy it in a heartbeat and delete my Windows partition forever. 73, Paul. And he's in North Dakota. I responded back to Paul. I said, without knowing the specific features you use from PowerDirector, I can't really make a recommendation. I know you didn't really ask for one, but... I can't help myself. Here is a link to the more than a handful of alternatives available for Linux. If there are any in the list that you haven't tried or haven't tried in a while, maybe there is something here that can help you cut those final strings attached to Microsoft. And we have a link that I'll put in the show notes to the alternative2.net website with alternatives to CyberLink PowerDirector and there are a few there for Linux. All right. Have you used PowerDirector or anything like that? I haven't. I wasn't even sure what it was until I started reading about it. But <laughs> no, I haven't uh, ever used it. I know it's some kind of video editor. Yeah, exactly. And there are a lot of video editors for Linux for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure there's one there that, that does what he wants it to do, whether he does it the way he wants to do it or not, that's really up to him. So, uh, Paul, we'll leave it to you, but thanks for the email. And thanks, thanks for the opportunity to provide suggestions for more open source software for our listeners. Yes. Okay, David asked about why Linux has so much better display clarity than Windows. Hi, Larry and Bill. I'm a retired accountant and recently had to switch from MoneyDance personal finance software to Quicken finance software. 
Long story, don't ask. Hint, Schwab decided to make life hard on Money Dance. At any rate, temporarily to get quick into work, I loaded Windows as my primary system on my laptop. Risky business from a security standpoint. At any rate, when I did that, due to my declining vision, I had issues with Windows brightness. I turned off high contrast and jiggled many other settings trying to correct it. Why is it that Linux is so much easier on my eyes than Windows 10? At any rate, even though it is blasphemy to ask this of you, do you have any tips for correcting this in Windows? Thanks, David. Now, you are a much more frequent and regular user of Windows than I am, so I'm going to turn to you first before I provide my suggestion. Uh, yeah, um, there should be some settings that in, in the control panel, depends on which version you're using, uh, that you should be able to increase the font size and you, uh, depending on the resolution of your monitor, I would say, uh, maybe it's defaulted to, uh, what they consider the, uh, standard size and it might be too small for you. So you could right. try tra changing the resolution and see if that makes it a little easier to read. But, uh, you know, I, I only use, uh, uh, Windows to game on <laughs> one game that I can't get to run on Linux and, of course, work. So I don't do a lot of fiddling with it anymore. Um, I just don't have time. <laughs> so I would say, uh, check your resolution and then go in, uh, I think it's under the, uh, let me see here. My Windows machine happens to be up and running for work, so let me just take a quick look. So, if you're running Windows 10, uh, it's in the settings, and um, let me see. It looks like you can go to the tab that says personal for, uh, personalize or personification and it has all those options to uh, change the background change the colors the uh, th and maybe you could try some different themes it has the fonts and uh, setting in there along with the start and taskbar so sounds like that might be where you need to look if you have Windows 10 and I'm sure I haven't run Windows 7 and golly years uh so i would think it'd probably be in the general same location yeah good suggestions um and what i had provided him by way of a reply email is a link to an article that doesn't quite go through what you suggested although that's a great suggestion um there's also a setting in there for something called Clear type text tuner, ah, believe yeah. it or not. And so you can go through a little wizard, if you will, that allows you to select between three or four or six or eight or 10, 12, whatever it is, different um, settings for clear type that allows you to find the one that looks the least fuzzy to you. And I've always found that it is still a little bit fuzzy. But anyway, it's, it's a video on YouTube from, uh, who's it from? Robert McMillan, 
I don't know if he's got a channel or whether this is just a one-off um, video, but it's from back in 2015, believe it or not. And it talks about how to make changes to the uh, clear type settings, which has been in Windows for a long time. Uh, and so this is definitely something that Windows, uh, that Microsoft is aware of and provides this as a way of helping. Uh, the screen resolution helps as well. And David actually wrote back and said that he's found that in VMware for Windows, it's easier to deal with than the VMware for Linux. He doesn't know why, and at any rate, this will give him an opportunity to easily try out various Linux additions. And I don't know whether running Windows in a virtual machine under Linux is going to solve the clarity of the display issue or not, but that might be another way to do it is instead of uh, installing Windows on your as your primary operating system, stick with Linux, run Windows in a VM, install it there, and see if that provides some clarity. And if not, you can, in the VM, run through the change of resolution and the clear type settings as well. So another couple of options for you, David, that I didn't email back to you. All right. Well, good luck, David, uh, with that, and let's know your progress. So our next email comes from a listener, Bill, uh, and Bill says he really needs some help. He says, hi, I'm, I'm clear now after giving it a good go for a while now that I can't migrate from the world of Scrapple and uh, Microsoft on my own, which includes uh, adept online tutorials and podcasts such as yours and others. I'm realizing I need a lot more hand-holding and troubleshooting Doing this on my own requires way more time than I can devote currently. Wow. My thought. I locate someone locally who can actually come to my home and work with me and my computer, or I hire someone via uh, TeamViewer on some other online system takeover software. Can you connect me with folks who do this stuff for a living and would take on this job? Thanks, Bill. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know if anyone specific who would be willing to go to Bill's location. He Did he say where he's from? No, he didn't. So that'll be a little tough to arrange right off the bat. But hey, we can... We can be the broker between emails and connect you with someone who might be willing to do that, either remotely or locally. So the answer is yes. We don't know who at this point. So if there's anyone of Armenians who's willing to help out Bill, we appreciate you getting in touch with us. And we'll put you in touch with Bill and let you move forward from there. But in the meantime, we did ask Bill for some more information about his systems so that we could begin to think about what's going on here. And he also provided us with some details as to what the problems are, which, of course, helps us to <laughs> diagnose it a little bit. Yeah. So he said, hi, Larry, and provided a screenshot from his, what turns out to be Linux Mint 20.2 Cinnamon with um, Cinnamon version 5.07. And the most re 
recent Linux kernel as we're recording this. He's got an i5 processor running maximum 2.9 gigahertz uh, and 31.1 gigabytes of RAM. That must be 32 gig uh, rounded off. A 30, no. It's three terabyte. Oh, three. There we go. Three terabyte. I'm trying to figure out where the comma is. <laughs> A three terabyte hard drive and an Intel uh, graphics card. So this, just looking at that, makes me think, okay, this is very compatible with Linux, so that should work. Uh, he writes, thanks for the prompt reply. I bought my computer from Think Penguin. So, yeah, it is very likely that it's already been optimized for Linux because I had heard that the machine matters when it comes to running Linux. In other words, I can save myself a lot of trouble by going with a machine that is well-matched to run Linux software. In general, that's true. I have no reference for what a lot of issues means in the world of Linux because this is my first go-around. I think I've had my machine about one year, rough guesstimate. It seems to me I struggle at every turn to get things to work. Might I be born under a bad sign when it comes to tech? My kids think so, but then again, they're born with the tech gene. And he gives some examples of his troubles. First of all, looks like he has uh, installed Synaptic. I don't remember whether Synaptic is provided by default in Linux Mint, but he has a screenshot from a Synaptic message that says, could not download all repository indexes. Uh, and when you read the the details behind it, he's got some repositories that he is trying to use. One of them is the Etcher repository, which I have discovered uh, over the past month or so has some trouble with the latest uh, updated versions of Linux, at least De Debian distributions. And so I'm thinking that that problem is not of your making. Uh, Bill, so it is, in fact, a problem with the Etcher repository. Sometimes, hey, it's not your fault. Um, so what I actually did to resolve this was I f went out and looked for a um, snap package or a uh, flat pack package. And if I remember correctly, I found one and never looked back. So there you go. Um, then there's also a launchpad.net. Uh, oh, here we go. There is a, a repository for OBS Studio that seems to have failed. A repository for, what's this one? In release. Not sure what that is. Um, there is something called, uh, that's another failure for in release, uh, some backports failure. So I'm thinking I got a bunch of error messages as well, like this when the Etcher repository failed and by removing the Etcher repository, all of those error messages went away, although they seem to be pointing to different things. It appears to me that they were all a result of that. So you might want to go into your um, software settings, 
where they list, and I don't remember where this is in Linux Mint, but there there is one there where the repositories are all listed. And uh, deselect or remove the repository for Etcher and see if that fixes your problem. If it does, then you can go find another source of Etcher until they get the repository fixed. Um, so that's what the one suggestion based on your screenshots so far. And Bill, he continues on. So I'm going to let you take a look at the backup tool problems he seems to have. Okay. So uh, he sends a screenshot and of the backup tool with the following errors. Uh, this, uh, I'm just going to look through this Q portal database archive. So it looks like it's having trouble uh, with some data um, with its backup tool. Um, yeah, it looks like data files that it can't back up for some reason. Yeah, and he wrote, I hit these snags and it can take hours to figure out. I'm open to learning, but I don't have the bandwidth to devote so much to this. I spent countless hours trying to troubleshoot another project I was working on that involved connecting a Raspberry Pi to a blockchain network. Uh, still got my tit in a ringer on that one. Ouch. Uh, oh well, little by little, and having someone to help me out of these issues like the ones above would be fantastic. I'm willing to vote some time to getting out of pinches, but that is not my life, and I'm still hoping to have one someday. All the best, Bill. So, I would suggest, Bill, to go into your backup tool uh, and see maybe you uh, need to change where the files are trying are being uh, maybe saved. Maybe there's not enough um, room if you have another hard drive. Or it might be pointing to a file that's trying. I'm not quite sure, uh, but I would suggest uh, starting there and seeing if you've set it up for the correct location to save the files. Yeah, and I'm not exactly sure how Raspberry Pi fits into this. Uh, whether this is something you're running on a Raspberry Pi and remoting in from your Linux Mint box, but. What I am sure of is the error message that I see are related to backing up data files from something called Quartal, which is this uh, blockchain thing that he refers to in his email. And I'm thinking that it might be a security issue that, uh, you know, the, the backup tool is just not capable of backing it up, that it's being blocked by Quartal. Somehow, I'm not exactly sure what Quartal is, but I put that into Google. It says it's the Quartal network. Uh, and without going into a lot of detail as to what it is, it looks like it's some sort of remote, um, decentralized thing related to blockchain, uh, and, and minting, um, Bitcoin? Uh, yeah, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency of one sort or another. So it it could be a security issue that's not letting you back that up because it's blockchain. So again, I think these may be issues that are related 
to what the software that you're using or the things that you're trying to do as opposed to you being the source of the problem. And this is kind of one of the things that turns people off when they switch from one operating system to another, whether that's Windows to Mac, Mac to Windows, Windows to Linux, or Mac to Linux, uh, is that you don't know whether you're doing something wrong or whether there's something else going on that you just can't figure out. And looking at all the screenshots and your descriptions, I don't think there's anything that you're doing wrong here. I think you've just hit, in one case, a bug, the bug related to the um, Etcher repositories, and in the other case, uh, a limitation around security. So keep on going, Bill. I think you're heading in the right direction. I'm not sure other than switching to another source of, you know, downloading Etcher or switching to another uh, program that actually creates bootable drives for you uh, as an alternative to Etcher or, you know, looking on the Quartal site to see if there's an issue there that they can identify. I'm not sure there's much we can do to help you or that you can do to help yourself other than do a little bit of research in those two areas. All right. Okay, and Bill, I think that's it for our emails for this time. All right. So, do you have an application pick? As a matter of fact, I do. It is Brightness Controller 2.0. And this is a result of someone I was trying to help. Uh, And it turns out that Someone else provided a suggestion on the forum I was in, and this was it, Brightness Controller 2.0. It lets you adjust the brightness of an external monitor, and it lets you adjust the temperature of the monitor as well. So, you know, on your computer, um, the laptop, for example, you have a built-in display that you have generally speaking, some hardware keys that let you adjust the brightness. But if you're using an external monitor, there's no real way to adjust the brightness of the external monitor in a nice, easy format. And that's what Brightness Controller 2.0 lets you do, is adjust the brightness, adjust the temperature. I'm I'm assuming the color temperature there, not not the temperature in degrees Fahrenheit or Celsius. And uh, it it seems to be a quite useful thing. Uh, Now, it's not something I've tried, so be aware that this is a recommendation of something that I don't really know how it works. But we'll provide a link in the show notes. And it's got some sliders that let you adjust the brightness of any monitor connected to your computer, whether that's a laptop or whether it's um, a desktop or something else. And it um, the, the link is a link to a GitHub site where they list the repositories that you would need to add. Uh, to, it's a PPA for um, Debian's. They also have uh, an Arch um, yay command to add it. And let's see what else they have. It's written in Python, so you can get it using pip or Python 3. 
And I don't see anything else here. Uh, but it looks like it is a useful tool. Looks promising at least. And if anyone in our audience has tried it or wants to try it and report back, we'd be interested in actually hearing from someone who has used it. Yeah, that's a new one on me, Brightness Control 2.0. Yep. Looks like uh, the the main packages have been updated a couple of years ago. There may be some additional uh, updates that have been provided more recently than that. But it certainly seems to be an active uh, project underway. So good luck and let us know how it goes if you decide you want to try it out. So uh, with that, then, our next episode will be a distribution review, and it might be the one we've promised you on elementary, or it might be the one we promised you on Pop OS, or it might be something different. You'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We provide the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Links podcast community on community.goinglinks.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.